you're in for a, a great discussion about, I don't know, platform engineering, platform as a product, thinking about how you manage the team and even recruit the team of people that run the platform you have. But I wanted to remind you that come December 6th to 8th, we have Spring One coming up in 2022, in case you're listening to this in the future. It's going to be a great conference where we talk about software development, especially in the Java and the .NET world, people using Spring, setting up golden paths to production, all the kind of stuff that platform engineer people are concerned about and interested in. A little bit of Kubernetes stuff here and there, DevOpsy things, basically all the stuff you would expect from the cloud native world. And the stuff that I look forward to most, kind of the type of discussion Darren and I have have here, is talking with the people and organizations about how they're managing running that stuff, changing the organization, the skills and practices, the culture, if you will. But we've got all the sessions posted in the workshops. If you go to spring1.io, you can browse them and check them out. And you should register. And I've got a code you can use to get $200 off. And that's COTE200. That's C-O-T-E 200. So if you're interested in this discussion you're about to hear, these kind of topics, definitely go to spring1.io and check out the stuff we have. It's probably a good conference for you to co- uh, for you to come to. And you'll be able to talk with the actual practitioners do it, not just see the talk that they give, ask questions, talk with your peers. So check that out. Use the code COTE200 at spring1.io to check it out and save $200. And with that, Let's go see uh, what Darren's take on platform engineering is, the experience that he's had in large organizations putting it in place, and some advice for kind of the long-term viability and scaling up. And really, one of the parts I like about the conversation a lot is we kind of think about what it means to product manage a platform uh, for, for operations people, which I think is a big shift in what's going on there. Enjoy. I'm going to continue in my series of, I, I was, maybe maybe you have a good way of putting it. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, christen this a series called uh, "What Is Platform Engineering," uh, and, or or whatever we used to call it. I, I don't I don't know I don't know if that's a good one. It, se- it seems a little too forceful. But uh, to to that end, you've worked in this area for many years and uh, hel- helped run and build and be on these teams. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Darren Rice. Um, I'm based near near London uh, in Essex in England. Um, I joined. Uh, VMware at the start of this year um, as part of a team called the Tanzu Value Advisory Team. Uh, it's a team that had been sort of quite successful in the US for about three or four years, back even when you know when we were pivotal. Um, but we decided to expand the function into Maya. I was the first one uh, to join, and now we have three members. I know you know them, Brian Ross and Mark Zopner. So we're now yeah. at full strength. Um, and basically, our team is a sort of an executive advisory team. You know, we've come from industry. We've sat in these people's shoes, and we can sort of talk through their problems at you know, a business level and an outcome level, you know, having seen what to do, what not to do. You know, and we can advise them beyond just sort of, you know, the products that we offer and the services we offer, but also around, you know, how do you drive some of this cultural change? How do you, how do, how do you actually really do this in practice? Totally. Um, before before VMware, I was in you know finance for 25 years. 20 years of that was in banks. And my most recent role, I sort of ran the global middleware uh, team um, for for UBS. Um, middleware is a bit of an old fashioned term now, I know, <laughs> but I haven't found a better word for it yet. I mean, it's the no, oh, exactly. That's the, the I mean, that's that's the problem yeah. I always have is like, yeah, I, I I know this is an old term, but we don't have a new one yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I could make up lots of fancy names, but it's the bit that sits in the middle of the app and, and the operating system, right? So uh, so I ran that. So but and as a part of that, my team brought Tanzu into the into the bank and we ran it at scale. So you know, we and we obviously tried to introduce a lot of these platform as a product concepts. You know, having had 
Tanzu Labs in and to, to talk to us about all of that. So, so, so let's let's well well first of all yeah I mean Mark just told me uh, this morning that he he uh, he moved over to your team which is exciting he'll he'll be great there he uh, he of course he's been in this I don't know channel of podcast video stuff at some point talking about our legacy trap stuff and the work we did there which is uh, which is always good stuff and then you have in addition to English you've got German and French covered you can do some. Well, uh, he, he not only increases the team by 50%, he increases the languages by 300%. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, so, like, like, let's start with, like, I mean, I, I don't know. What, without getting too, like, hung up on, like, you know, the last, like, like six months or so of the phrase platform engineering, and, you know, as you were calling it, platform as a product, or running the platform, or... Just running that like centralized thing that that your developers use and that they run their apps on inside an organization. Like, like how do you think about what that is? Let's just call it the platform team. <laughs> like, like what what is uh, what's going on there? What what what's the roles and responsibilities it has in in the organization? Yeah, I think so. I was at you know banks for a long time, and I saw things evolve from. Um, let's say traditionally how people did it is people tended to order, you know, infrastructure and, and, and middleware in a kind of, you know, you would put something on a shelf, you'd say, okay, this is a web server package with some scripts around it. Off you go mm -hmm. and install it. And each person would go and individually order their server and their operating system and their database and so on. Right. You know, that's how, and, and our job in, you know, go back 15 years was to create these kind of generic sort of self-installable, sort of pieces that really was impossible to put any standards around it was not centrally hosted it was so you were more sort of providing a product in a very kind of put it on the shelf and away you go good luck i think the the, the change for when you start talking about platforms and the concepts existed for a long time and when people built things like web farms or you know shared database clusters or whatever it is you know i think we just sort of added new terms to it to call it you know platforms as, as a product or whatever and it just means that the sort of it's that multi-tenant you know someone's going to centrally own the responsibility for certain things so the developer doesn't have to care about it right the developer doesn't have to order all the pieces right and so you worry about things like getting the base infrastructure the capacity around it right how the platform is generally running how someone consumes it and, and so on, right? That for me is what it's all about. Um, a bit like, you know, it's, it's having a landlord, right? Mm. <laughs> Rather than you owning your own complete house. I use sort of house analogies quite a lot, by the way. So it may not be the first time we, we go into a house analogy. But, um, but that's the important thing for me is that suddenly you've got experts who can concentrate on what they're good at, which is hosting, right? Which is running whether it's Java or web apps or databases or whatever it is, providing that for you. And it started a long time ago, but then we got better at it. We, we had to do it originally using our own homegrown tools and just sort of sticking this stuff all together, sticking load balancers over it and stuff like that. And then, of course, we brought products along like, like Tanzu. Um, and, of course, now Cloud does a lot of that for you as well, right? But the concept, I think, has, has existed for quite a long time. And and I think I mean I think the so one evolution of the idea of the uh, let's call it the 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 centralized services team as as we were joking you know like I think I think it's it's a very in a good way a very mature well known thing that 
you, I mean, to go back further into history, the point of middleware is like, these are reusable common services that many different uh, developers inside an organization use that generally you don't want to code yourself, like a database, most famously, right? Like, or, you know, a message bus, or it's just sort of like, I don't know, the plumbing that would be ridiculous for you to write on your own. <laughs> and so generally, whether, I mean, I guess there's three, there's three things. Like one, you might actually write it on your own, but then it's used by everyone, right? Like it's, it's so it's, it's not like every team doesn't rewrite their own stuff. Or you might use like an open source thing and you kind of like manage that and run it on their own. Or you like, similar to that, you buy, you buy it from a vendor. And, you know, yeah. I think, I think, you know, most, well, at least, I, you know, I stopped coding in 2005. So, so all my knowledge is based on J2EE, <laughs> right? right? And like, exactly. you know, that was a huge stack of middleware that basically aspired to just do everything. Or as you were saying, web service uh, farms or clusters, or whatever. So anyways, it seems like, like about, I don't know, around, at least this is when I heard about things, about like 2015 or, or whatever, in, in the, the platform as a service days. And this is when I joined Pivotal. Like we would talk a lot about, as, as a phrase you used uh, a little while ago, like platform as a product. And, and I think it was that as a product that was kind of like the evolution of the centralized middleware, which is what if we like product manage what we're providing here, which, which is a shift from, and I mean, tell me if I'm getting this wrong, like I'm going over it to kind of validate my fanciful notions, <laughs> but it seems like with the traditional way of doing middleware, your focus is more on we're delivering some middleware or services that have to meet a set of requirements that uh, they, they need these, these features and they need like this uptime and they need this blah, blah, blah. But their, their job is to meet the needs that we have specified. Whereas the slight, slightly, but, but very consequently more important thing of the, as a product part is let's go find out what the developers need. <laughs> and like, let's continuously kind of like, gather the requirements from developers by working with them and evolve what we're doing by figuring out what makes, let's treat them as the primary customer in, instead of the enterprise architecture as the primary customer, I, I, I guess. I don't know. I mean, does that seem like, no, no, is, that, that, is that a fair characterization? That, that is absolutely what happened um, because I think traditionally these platforms were just built by engineers and it was the same people that had engineered things in a traditional way that were also providing you know the platforms for people to run on i think what we did across the board and this is not just true of middleware we did it across the you know i, I wasn't the uh, the genius inventor of the, this change of approach right but it was but i was one of the implementers of it um it was it was that change in mindset you know we changed our titles overnight from engineering leads to service and product leads right and that mm. was a significant sort of mind shift and we also started putting people into the positions um, that maybe the traditional engineers didn't feel comfortable doing, but it was that interface to the customer, which was typically the application owner or developers, right? Um, I think in large organizations, when we talk about developers, actually we talk about lots of different types of people because there's people that are bashing out code. There's actually right, people right. that you know, you write a line of code, but they're actually owning the applications and responsible for how the application gets, you know, its roadmap and how it gets deployed and what infrastructure it uses. But anyway, I'm sort of digressing there on what is an app owner, right? Sure. Um, but certainly in terms of 
the roles of those service and product managers were much more around, you know, have you published your catalog of what you're actually offering and all the different T-shirt sizes and how right. how do you consume it, right? You know, what does it cost for the internal user to, to, to use it? Are there other options? Have you got a roadmap from where you are to where you need to be? Have you got information about what's the top priorities that the you'd like us to focus on? Is it end of life? Is it compliance? And then how, are you running regular review sessions with your customers to find out what they want so you can give the information two-way? And again, I'll make, make sure it's a two-way street because we were often saying to the customers, by the way, we do want you to still worry about end of life and, and compliance and things like that, which is what I'll come on to in a minute, right? But it was them telling us, yeah, but we really need X, Y, and, and Z. Whereas I think, I think you're right. In the past, it was very much probably architecture or CTO led saying we should go to technology X and our platform should be based on Tomcat, not WebSphere or, you know, it yeah, be yeah. Postgres, not Oracle or, you know, you know we, we didn't, we, we changed it because of those kinds of drivers, not because, oh, well, we need this particular feature. We need to start introducing different ways of doing this stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and, and I mean, you, you went through a great list there of, uh, <laughs> like, like, thinking about your your software or or whatever the 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 technology thing you're creating as a product right with roadmaps and like like i i you know in in a, in a comical but very serious way so to speak right like just publishing the catalog of services you have and making sure people can access it is often overlooked <laughs> right like like and you know it, it's just a form of marketing basically right like i i remember uh I remember hearing, I forget where this was or who it was, but I remember someone was talking with uh, uh, like, you know, the infrastructure people and, and they, they, were, they were talking with, I think this was one of our, our people who was talking with them and they were saying like, oh, you know, we, the developers keep asking us to like set up uh, public cloud access. And so we need some way to do that. And, and then they kind of went down to the people who are providing the service and they were like, yeah, we have that. Like you totally have public cloud now. It's not a big deal. You can just do that. And then, and then so the person asked them like, well, what, like, how do you do it? Because the developers don't know about it. And they're like, oh, well, you file a ticket and then we'll open it up for you. And it was kind of like, well, that's why they don't know about it. Because there's, like, <laughs> there's not like a catalog of offerings that, or even worse, there is a catalog of offerings, but there wasn't enough time spent to make sure the developers knew about it, right? And I think like yeah. like to kind of embellish or, or like add kind of a whatever to the list you were saying, like I, I think a couple of years ago, like I kind of, the way I also started thinking about it is like, well, I've always worked for software vendors and we sell our software as a product. So I know all the activities you go through to do that. And it's kind of like, well, you just use those activities for internal IT now, <laughs> which, which I think is a whole lot of different stuff that you add in uh, as, as you were listing right. there. Yeah, I, mean, I think when you, the marketing and um, sort of advertising almost internally of what you do, I think is a very important thing that often gets missed with traditional engineering teams. I mean, people will tell you, we have, oh, we have documentation, like exactly you say, it's not that, it's not that they don't have something written down, but typically, I mean, and I was guilty of this when I was an engineer, right? Your documentation consisted of a, of a confluence page that started with a Unix command, right? It's like, well, yeah. no. <laughs> well, first, you're starting down here, and that, that's still very important stuff that might be needed by technical people 
once you get into the you know how do i actually install this stuff but no one really started at that bit before saying you've already assumed that i'm you know i'm inside the car and i'm asking you i've already picked the car i know how to drive it now i've got detailed instructions on how to turn the key and what the buttons do he's like no stop step back from that you know how do i even know what i want how do i get to that confluence page in the first place how do i know these are the different 12 things that you're offering and also more importantly how do i know that these are the ones that we that you want us to go you know that sort of order of preference right you know decision trees that we then as we got more mature we started putting decision trees not just here's a service catalog do what you like because i think one of the dangers of cloud is there's so many services as soon as you open it up to people there's there's 27 different ways of doing it that you don't necessarily want to do it 27 different ways you want you might want yeah. to offer two or three but you also not want to say some kind of guidance and decision tree on if i'm doing this then really you should take this one Right. And it, but if yeah. you really need that, then go to the list one and then that one. Not just here's the cloud, knock yourself out, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's there's a lot of like threads to pull on there. But one one that that I'm curious to hear, you know, having having done this, your take on is how do you um how do you make sure that you keep doing the work to make things better. <laughs> like, like that's, that's kind of a ridiculous question, right? But, but another, traditionally, like another thing that I think people encounter with, let's call it the, the middleware, uh, like service delivery thing, is that, especially in enterprise architectures, is it's, it's hard to kind of like gather the feedback if the decisions you've made are the right ones and then make sure that you go and fix it. So for example, something as simple as you were saying of like, well, we posted a page about how to use uh, whatever, how to package your stuff up to deploy. Like that's a thrilling thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> or, or like, you know, also like how to, how to set up a, a developer and a testing environment, right? Like that's a common thing to get started with. And like in, in the ideal state, um, I don't know what the period is, but like the person who the, the team who maintain that page would go and say like, well, is this working? Right? Like, is this good? And how would we know if it's good? And maybe we should change it. Right? And then, I mean, that goes on even further that like, oh, now we need to, uh, we found a need for developers to have a new type of service, or a new type of configuration. And now we need to go do that. Right? And, and this is kind of like the product type is, to use a way that some people say is like, you know, a project ends, but a product never ends until you kill it. <laughs> right. But like, and, and so it seems like for us vendors, it's easy because like we want more money. So we keep paying attention to building it and we keep doing it. But it mm. seems like when you're delivering in a project delivery mindset, like it's a new skill to learn that like, we've got to go back and revisit and revise this stuff, not just sort of be done with it. Well, I think the first you just hit the nail on the head, which is you don't run everything just as a project, right? That's why we had to shift to sort of an ongoing concept of you own this platform or product forever. Someone once said to me, when's this done? And I said, well, never. Well, when the users don't need it anymore is the answer to when this is done and we'll move on to something else, right? But yeah. until then, then it's never done. I think... That's why we were encouraged, and I'll get on to you know how you how how we do this. But you know, 
having those reviews with with the users, having internal, you know, we used we used to have internal chat channels or something like that, whether it's Slack or Skype or whatever it is, like to encourage feedback. And we had, you know, part of that marketing site is, you know, leave feedback on whether it's on Confluence or whatever it is, you know, have ways of having feedback and yeah, you can't do everything, but then work out ways of, you know, prioritizing it. Obviously you, you will have multiple customers. Yeah. Because you'll have different lines of business and different maybe objectives. But if there are often, if they're saying, if you get multiple lines of business or customers saying the same thing, then that's a driver to improve. And then you, you do that by setting the goals and objectives of the team managing that platform to be that improvement not right right just deliver this project and you'll get your tick in the box at the end of your annual review actually you you have to set those goals at the start of the year to say well you're a you're a product owner your goal is the following and whether that's you know improvements in surveys or whether it's uh you know you, you have to make it up what what how you measure right, it right. but it's got to be something that's measurable in terms of the platform, how many service reviews did you run? How much positive feedback did you get from those? Are your roadmaps in place for the next three years and always being kept? As long as you sort of, people get motivated by what their goals are, right? So yeah, that, that would be great. Like, finish the project and you're done. Right? Yeah, yeah, that, that'd be a great thing to, to contemplate at some point is like, what are management metrics for platform engineering and platform as a product, right? And centered around like, I mean, I, I think you are identifying it is how do you, to, to make a verb out of it, how do you metric, uh, metric size mm. product delivery? And, and, and I think, I think the, you know, I mean, as with so many metrics, right? Like, whatever metrics they're great and bad who knows just like sugar like sugar can be terrible or it can be wonderful right like just depending on what what you do with it uh and like it seems like there's two types you're going over there one is like the i don't know the trailing indicators kind of like the static things of like we had every quarter we had like a customer review meeting and we generated like a backlog from it, which is just like, these are things that should be happening. It's like the blood test, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and, 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 but then the other thing is more trying to capture like the flow and improvement of things uh, as far as like, like somehow, as you're saying, you want, you want to capture that like, yes, we're improving this. And not only are we improving it, but we're, we're learning what's better. And, uh, you know, it's figuring out how you capture that stuff, I'm sure is a, a bit of an art in some organizations of how you map it to how that organization functions. But as with most cases, it's probably pretty standard, <laughs> the types of things you would you would start measuring, which um, I'm always a fan of giving like management some new metrics to do stuff because like there's only so much like work they can do beyond like meetings, setting the tone and metrics, like everything else, is, you know, it doesn't really scale so well. So they, they need the, the same tools or similar things. Yeah, that's 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 right. I mean, you know, <laughs> we, we um, I think it's also about trying to tie into actually what the end goals are, because you, you could have specific goals about mm. what the platform is, right? Yeah, which will be yeah. very specific to the platform. But ultimately, that's why I can't give complete examples now because it could it just depends on what's the biggest driver sure. from the customer's side right but if the customer is saying you know what our, our measurement is time to market and at the moment it's still even with the platform taking too long 
well then you mm. can put a measurement around that if it's it costs too much you can put a measurement around how you can trim those costs if it's um i need more or if, you know whatever it is you could then put a measurement around that the platform then becomes the enabler to those other kpis or whatever it is that you, that you then address have, have you improved end of life the platform isn't going to do that on its own you've got to sort of keep that platform <laughs> right. getting better and better so it then has the knock-on effect that other things in the organization are, are getting better right yeah definitely. but i think it does come from a cultural mindset you know we had people come into the organization and you know and say you are service and product engineer uh, managers now right your job is to continually improve your, your your platform that is your job not did you create a 10 linux packages last month right yeah yeah yeah, yeah you, you don't you don't just do like a like a, a an inventory of the assets and services created right like yeah. you you want to you want to shift towards like uh how how are how are you learning and 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 adapting them to uh to be useful essentially well so so next week uh, speaking of the people like we have uh, we have a talk at uh vmware explore in barcelona with uh with another another set of people who've been doing this for a while uh our, our friends from mercedes the ones who run the um who i think for like seven years now uh have been have been running the uh the cloud foundry instance the i mean started off being pivotal cloud foundry and now it's the tanzu application service and they've been using that as the stack the platform for doing all this that we've been talking about um and so it, it's going to be great to hear from them like what i i think you know what we've been trying to put together in this talk is not so much a definitional thing but like what are the lessons learned uh from from those seven years and what does it look like after seven years right which which i think i think will be fun stuff um but you know, as a little preview of that, the part that you're going to talk about, I think that will be great is the, um, the, the people in the platform engineering team, right? Because as, as, as you and I have talked and you've commented on, like, there's, there's a lot of emphasis on the developer side of stuff, which is cool. <laughs> and, and I think what I'm always interested in is not, not only how you sort of build the new role and, and even hire for a platform engineer on the team. But, you know, usually in a large organization, you have a lot of great skilled, uh, you know, good people already doing operations stuff. And like, I don't know, maybe they can move on to doing this. <laughs> right. And, and so the and so the question becomes like, so how do you I mean, it's hard to phrase this without it sounding like negative, but I, I don't mean it to be but like, how do you just work with what you have? instead of like coming up with an entirely new team and kind of motivate people yeah. and, and train them and all of that. So what's, what's been your experience with that? Like working with well, the people that you have? I mean, I think there's always a bit of a mix because I mean, I've seen it done badly both ways and I've seen it done well, right? I think where I've seen it done badly is either you don't bring anyone in at all. I'm not necessarily saying that has to be new permanent members of staff, but if you don't engage some kind of, consultant or vendor or someone to work with you that's done it before i think that's a mistake if you just try and you, you can as you say you've got some good people but they need some guidance and steer right teach yeah. them to fish kind of thing right i've also seen it the other way where projects have they just brought in a completely new superstar team that work goes off into a lab and builds it all on their own and they don't know anything about the organization and they come out and go ta-da what do you reckon and everyone goes this just won't work and it also builds resentment in the old team saying 
why do these guys get to work on the fancy shiny stuff and we're stuck doing you know yeah. the, the, the traditional stuff so either those two things don't work i think you need a blend you need some new people some new ideas and at least bringing it in from maybe places that have already done it but i think the vast majority as you say you need to then all um, educate and train and mold your existing team to work with those new people and make them part of it make them feel that they are part of it not that they're being replaced right so that you don't end up with you're going to get a few luddites right you're going to get a few and they're probably the people that won't be working for your organization for much longer anyway because they'll say you know we've always done it like this what's wrong with the physical server you know right right <laughs> you know it's like it works perfectly fine you know and they'll put so those people you know but the vast majority of people are willing to change it's just maybe they just need a bit of a steer right i think the most important thing is get your own team to buy into the concept first right mm. before you start going selling it to the app teams and developers um Obviously, you probably need my buying from your manager as well. But before you start going out to wider stakeholders, you've got to try and convince your own team. And there's a few different ways of doing it. There's obviously incentives and there's also not necessarily threats, but you've got to sort of make people realize that you've got to move on. The industry moves on. The world moves on. Right. So the first thing we started with was from an ops perspective, um, understanding what is now expected of an ops team. The bar has been raised. Right. Dining out on uptime was something we did in the 90s and maybe early 2000s, right? But no one now says, um, oh, what was great about your iPhone? And he went, oh, it worked. You know, <laughs> right, no, right, one right. Says, no one says that anymore, right? <laughs> they, oh, yeah. it was on 99.9% of the time, you know. Well, well it probably wasn't because of the battery, but that's a different story, right? But, <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? For banks, for retail, for any of these important government, you know, everyone just expects it. You know, the retention, I think there was a survey, I mean, you probably know better than I do about what the expectation now of an average user is, right? And it's less than 30 seconds. If you're oh, right, right. Down, yes. down or if it is, even if it's slow or unusable, they'll move to something else. Now, banks are a bit stickier <laughs> than other organizations, particularly retail banks. We were talking about it last night, actually. Um, so if you've got a, a retail app and it doesn't deliver your groceries, you'll probably switch, right? If your bank, if you can't get your balance, it's going to take quite a lot for you to uproot all of your, you know, account and move. But but if you look at younger generations, they are doing that. They are getting the you know the new banks. So so banks have also can't rest on their laurels. So it's also around understanding we have to move to survive and and within that an operations team cannot just think the stuff that used to be important uptime capacity you know and and, and that sort of stuff isn't going to cut it cloud gives it gives you that out of the box right yeah so yeah. So, so and if you don't want to be replaced you need to move on and be a you know a, a different sort of you have a different mindset get involved in, in, in some of the more interesting stuff and so let's face it Producing graphs on uptime and, and how much capacity is left is pretty dull as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> whereas, yeah. Right, whereas, whereas writing automation or, you know, making the platform better, that's what engineers actually want to do. So that's my next point is traditionally in an organization that doesn't think in this mindset, you've probably got a very, you mentioned it earlier, a ticketed approach. 
you've got very ad hoc requests coming your way because you haven't got a standard service catalogue. Your life is probably not too happy because you get beaten over the head because you're not delivering these bespoke requirements every day, right? And in some cases, you, you, just, you just can't do what the customer's wanting you or asking you to do. If you move that mindset to you, you work on automation, you work on constant improvements and you and making the customer happy, well, that's a mind shift change, right? That, then your day life, your day job will become happier, right? But the other, the other example was rather than, I mean, I probably answered the same question a hundred times, right? <laughs> because we hadn't got it documented, people didn't know where to go. So compare that, doing that all day long, to creating a community, creating a chat channel. The best thing ever was when a different customer answered the question that another customer put on that chat channel and our team. Oh, right, right. Answer, right? You, you, got, you got the internal uh, stack overflow effect where you can, you can do support by users talking with each other. Absolutely, because I think you've probably answered that question 500 times. To me, if you've answered that question 500 times and people used to complain about it all day long to me saying, my day is just swamped with customer queries. And I'm like, have you written it down? Have you written down the answer? Have you pointed them at the site each time? Oh, do you just see what I mean? So it's that it's that change. But but again, building that community, getting getting people to answer for you. Then if you want to if you, if you want to grow, you're not just adding headcount to your team. You grow by building champions within the the app teams, right? And then and people resonate with that. They say, "You're right. I don't want to be spending time." troubleshooting the same problems, answering the same questions, doing ad hoc requests all day. I want to be working on cool new stuff, right? And that's that's how you incentivize engineers. I think the other thing is people care about their reputation, right? I think traditionally infrastructure and ops teams are considered expensive and a bottleneck, right? <laughs> that's yeah. how they're viewed by the business, a necessary evil almost, right? Which I think is grossly unfair. And what people want to do is, they are, you know, celebrated for being experts in their field. It's, you know, and you, and you know, what people actually like is, oh, you've really helped me there because you really know your stuff. Yeah. You know how to use this platform. You've helped me steer my application in a way. Right? And that's the kind of stuff that people actually really like. And when they start doing it and seeing it in anger, right, their daily life changes for the better. Right. And I've actually seen it happen. Right. Of course, you've still got some of the old stuff that you have to occasionally deal with because these organizations still have a lot of legacy. But but you want people to be working in that new way. And, and I found that most people bought into that. Right. The, yeah. I, one other, other oh, area is also about sorry, but I'm sort of no, no, in no. my in my flow now. And the other area is about tying it back to some of the things that operations people do care about. I mentioned capacity and end of life and, and, and compliance, right? Um, I think, unfortunately, infrastructure teams and operations teams have traditionally been sort of beaten up by auditors saying, you've got all this end of life, you've got lots of, you know, stuff that isn't patched, you've got non-compliant systems, what are you going to do about it? And often the answer is, well, I can't do anything about it because it's the applications that need to make the change to either upgrade or, you know, I can't necessarily, depends on where you are in the stack, but when it gets into sort of middle areas, I just can't upgrade the Java underneath someone 
right, <laughs> without them sort of needing to test their application. I think if you can say, but if we help the developers, they can help us. Right? If you if you deliver a platform that's always evergreen, that's always compliant, that's that's always you know, you you know, adhering to our standards. When it comes to an audit, your life is not going to be miserable going around a thousand servers trying to show an auditor what on earth state that server is in. So it's that sort of cyclical thing, which is what I think DevOps really should be about. It's yeah. ops helping devs help ops. Yeah. And and that's something that people who even with a traditional infrastructure mindset have bought into. I mean, you know, we, we had a situation where we're talking to a customer and they didn't want to go any faster from the infrastructure side because the data center was full. And we realized that the data center is full because developers are hugging the infrastructure because they don't trust the infrastructure team to deliver the capacity when they need it. Right. So it gets right. into this cyclical problem. And we said, you do realize that if you built the trust up in the developers that the platform could deliver you what you need in a day, they would give up all the capacity that they're hugging because they might need it once a year for some, I don't know, some regulatory test that they need, and otherwise it sits completely idle, right? So it was, it, it's trying to get that sort of, we all help each other, we're all wearing the same badge, we're all in the same company kind of mindset. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I, I remember, I mean, to highlight that, I remember, I remember us talking about that uh, last time we talked, and, and I thought it was, and I still do, uh, I think it's a great example of, like you know in the old devops westrom westrom thing it's a great example a practical example of what a pathological organization is like which is to say you don't want to be that organization no one is like wakes up in the morning and says like i'm going to put a pathological organization in place but it's exactly like the kind of unintended negative consequences that kind of occur when both sides aren't trusting and friendly with each other <laughs> right and and it's it's kind of more lays on the developer side they're hoarding these resources it's not always the operations people but it does turn into this vicious pathological cycle where um bad things are happening you're you're wasting resources because of really like so to speak the culture that you have in place like the people relation stuff where the ops people kind of assume developers are going to be wasteful and they're not making it easy for them to get resources. And then the developers are like, I don't want to work with those ops people. They're terrible to talk with. And so I'm just going to hoard this thing and make a, an under, under the desk data center. <laughs> right. And like, whereas if you had a better relationship between them, both of them would benefit. I mean, it's a typical like prisoner's dilemma kind of sort of, of, uh, of capacity stuff. But I mean, anyways, I, I want to point out that that's a great example of, of the effect of being a pathological organization. But it's human nature as well. I mean, we saw it with COVID, how if you don't think you can get hold of pasta or toilet rolls, you buy a hundred. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with with, with, uh, with infrastructure. If you don't think you can get a VM when you need it, you order a hundred and then you sit with them until, and then, and then you think you can use them when you need them. And that, people used to do that, right? And it wasn't until we had to introduce things like, you know, um, monitoring usage and telling people you're 1% utilized, we are going to auto turn you off. But to counter that, we will give you free VMs for 30 days. So we gave that trust that, and, and we, they knew that 
that you, you didn't have to go through the, any approvals or anything to get a, a free VM for 30 days. You build that trust and, and, and we proved that it worked. So there you go. We can give it to you if you need it on demand. Therefore, we're going to take away everything that you're not using. But you yeah, have to do the, you had to do the, the trust thing first before you got any agreement to do the auto delete thing second, right? Yeah, but, no, but it, it's, it's it, human it, nature. It's human nature. Right? It, it, rem it reminds me. I mean, this is this is speaking of seven years ago. Is one one of the things that one of your other teammates, Tony uh, from from the Home Depot. I remember in one of his early presentations when he was at the Home Depot going over how they were setting up this platform stuff. He was saying. Uh, I don't know, maybe it was six, seven months into this, uh, they had set up their platform and then developers weren't using it, you know, as much as they thought they were, which is, which is, as you know, not cool because you still have this business case you need to make. <laughs> like if you've spent all this effort building up a platform and then six months later, it's not being used, your, your spreadsheet's not going to look good <laughs> as, as far as, as far as your business case. Um, and, and you know, the idea that they had was like, well, what they found out is that people like didn't want to go through the hassle of accounting for and paying for the usage of that platform. And so they were kind of like, well, so what if they don't have to pay for it? Because <laughs> like, it's kind of sort of all funny money in the in the first place. It's all of our money. And as an organization, we benefit when developers are running on this platform. So maybe we should just remove that barrier for them to do it. And you know, and it will sort it out later. <laughs> but the yeah. important thing is to get people well, using it and, and to, you know, again, avoid that pathological thing where it's just like you're hoarding stuff because it seems because it's artificially expensive is is what, what you want to you want to remove. So you're absolutely right. We, we went through the same sort of thing and we did change the way we did internal cost recovery. Initially, people wanted us to have fair and transparent cost recovery based on what it really cost us to run it, which right. is why the new stuff was very expensive and the old stuff was cheap because end of life is cheap, right? Because you, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, you didn't have to load in all the upfront fees well, for it. Well, yeah, well, we've already written down the servers. You're probably not paying license fees anymore because it's end of life. Yeah, You've probably not got any people left that know anything about it or if you have this one guy. Like who's, who spends a third of his time on it at best. So if you think the real cost of running that, that end-of-life system is the electricity, right? Now there's yeah. a massive risk to it. And unfortunately, you know, it was a concept that I touted for a while to try and put an internal sort of insurance premium, because in my early days I worked in insurance, right? To try and get the oh, idea that's of the concept of yeah. an insurance premium charge against an end-of-life server because of the risk that it then came. Because if you had an outage, the cost to the bank would be high. It never quite flew, but I at least tried to, to yeah, do it. Yeah. In the end, we did manage to get the chain, the, the, the agreement to say within your area, as you say, it's all internal money sloshing around. I then have ended up with the ability within my area to say, I'm going to make the uh, the, the, the new platform cheapest chips. Like I'm going to make, it's a loss leader. It's come and stay at our hotel. The first three weeks is free. And then I started loading up the cost on the end of life to drive people off those platforms, even though it was artificial charging. Now, it's not the only lever because internal money doesn't completely drive people off platforms, but it's a it's one of 
a few things you can do, right? Totally, totally. And, and you know, I mean, I think at, at the very least, it's just like more crap you got to put up with, <laughs> right? Like as a user, right? Like it's just, you know, another another barrier and bottleneck to just getting on and doing the work, right? Which, and so it's good. I mean, that's a, that's a, a good product way to think is just like, uh, like, how how quickly can someone just use this platform and like what's all the stuff not never mind like even before they get to the command line or a button that they click like what do they have to do and then i think you know that that almost seems like the let's call it the intermediate platform uh team's job is to like think about what's everything that ha has to happen before someone touches a keyboard <laughs> and and like let's let's make that as easy as possible because that's going to be the next you know, I mean, it seems like you're constantly trying to figure out the bottleneck and, and eliminate it and uh, get, get people moving along faster. Well, and also removing things that stop when people game the system because of internal reasons, like so, mm. you know, internal chargebacks. And, you know, is an is a fascinating topic. Uh, wow. Hilarious topic a lot of time because, you know, <laughs> uh -huh. I even had the conversation where because we hadn't managed to sort it in the early days of virtualization, internally two vms cost more than one physical server and because you were splitting up a monolith and you're often running say your web layer on one vm and your database on another internally people say well this is more expensive because it looked more expensive to them because they had the same cross charge right but you don't want people to be doing that because you know in real life that isn't the case it's definitely not more expensive to run two vms than one physical but you know you've got to start that's the continuous improvements you have to look at as well. What what silly stuff is in the way of people using the platform or not using the platform rather, right? Coming up with yeah. you know, because or, or how do you stop people gaming the system to sort of say, oh well, you know, your your platform is more expensive because you haven't sorted out the uh, the pricing properly, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, great. Well, th this has been a good, uh, uh, you know, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to find some, uh, schedule some time to talk about all sorts of other aspects. Cause there's, there's many other things and we just kind of, I don't know, took some little digs here and there into it. Not, not Absolutely. in the, uh, the but that's, it, uh, and it'll be, it'll be fun next week to see what, uh, what we end up doing in that talk and, uh, with, with the Mercedes people. Um, but yeah, I mean, so uh, like, 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 if people, I mean, do you have anything you want to point people to about yourself? I mean, uh, any, any, uh, any stuff you want to do a, a call to action about? What, what are you uh, up I to mean, there on the internet? Yeah, I mean, so obviously, um, if people want to get hold of me or, or or see what I'm liking, then obviously I'm on LinkedIn. Um, just be cautious of the spelling of my name, which is Daran <laughs> Rice, as we discussed just before. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, because everyone spells it wrong, or as I said to you before, maybe everyone spells it right except my parents. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, so it's Darren Rice, okay, on LinkedIn. Uh, I've, you know, and I've recently also, along these sort of lines, wrote a blog um, around how KPIs drive behavior, which is sort of right. uh, a classic sort of tale of um, how transformations can go wrong if you set the wrong behavior kpis or, or okrs to be honest it doesn't really matter it's about the fact that people will they'll achieve something based on what their what their goal is right yeah and, yeah sure or whether, or whether that is the right goal or not so so you know if, if that blog can be shared that's a published tanzu blog that i wrote that maybe 
along these sort of lines would be interesting for people to read. Other than I, that. I th- I think I think especially you know I I have I have three kids in the heat of becoming wonderful people right in the middle and uh, it's easy to forget when when you're 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 parenting that in a corporate setting people are generally very good at doing what you ask them to do <laughs> and as as represented by metrics so to your to your to your point you should make sure your metrics are correct <laughs> because otherwise they'll give you exactly what you asked for it, even though you didn't want it which is. Uh, which is good. Well, so I'll I'll put a link to that and uh, uh, in in the show notes we have, or which you can find by going to uh, tanzutalk.com and uh, finding this episode in in the list. And um, you know, there's also uh, I also put a link to there's two other things. One, uh, you know, we mentioned uh, platform as a product. We have a great paper that was updated, I think, last year, kind of just going over the concept of platform as a product and. A, a, a little more detail on what we were talking about, and also we have a there's a there's a great Gartner report that we uh, licensed that g- goes over. I think it fits in this space. It kind of goes over the idea of an internal developer portal, which is which is something adjacent and overlapping to a lot of the platform stuff we were talking about. That would be another thing to talk fun to talk about at some point. Kind of narrowing down to more of the the IDP backstage role in here, which I think is always fascinating to. Uh, figure out what the Venn diagram is. <laughs> but I, I think that's a great report to look through because it's very, um, it is the style of Gartner report that is very prescriptive and lists a bunch of stuff, <laughs> which I think is often useful in thinking about it. Just that, you know, the other style, which is always nice, is just like, here's a fascinating, great new idea. Isn't it awesome? But you, so, you sometimes uh, are left thinking about what do I do now after that, which is totally fine. But this one has a little more practical. Uh, and with that, you know, if if uh, if you don't subscribe to the podcast, you should go to tanzutalk.com and add it into your uh, your podcast listener. Just search around in your podcast thing for Tanzu Talk and subscribe to it. I also recommend uh, anytime you get access to someone's phone or device, whether it's family, friends, or enemies, you should subscribe them to it too, so it downloads and give them a little surprise uh, to follow there. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. Cheers.